You're lucky in the um in the winter the cows are on the property and you can hear them. They're at summer camp right now, but usually you can summer hear them camp moving for in cows. <laughs> it is. It's down the field. They get a nice field with all the other cows. They all That's share. That's adorable. everybody and welcome to book retorts i'm danielle i'm sam and this is a podcast where one of us explains a weird piece of media to the other who has no experience with it that's me danielle this media is brand new to me like a brand new pair of sheets wash me first before you put me on your bed always a good idea (laughs) (laughs) but this is not a brand new piece of media this is an old piece of media that you somehow never watched to me danielle i was very clear (laughs) of my caveats Sam does know what we're doing this week, everybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, again, this is one of those things where a little behind the curtain pee, we have to make sure that we actually are doing something the other person hasn't already seen. Yeah, we don't always ask the other person. Sometimes we just hope for the best. But this was one. <laughs> this is so famous that I felt like I had to confirm. Totally fair, Danielle. This one's on me for not having seen it. Yes, we are doing the absolute 1993 classic of a film, Sleepless in Seattle. Oh no, Insomnia. But wait, you may ask, why is this so weird? It is a... This movie. Don't at me, everybody. I'm just going to tell you right now. I know this is some people's favorite movie. I understand that. It's Nora Ephraim. It's wonderful. Not my favorite movie. I think it's bonkers. (laughs) Look, I can appreciate crazy things. Some of my favoriteest movies are legitimately insane. There's no shame in that. I think this movie pretends to be normal, and then if you think two seconds about the plot line, you deeply question everything that's happening. I love those movies. I love the ones that are like, oh, this all seems normal. Like, wait a minute, there's something sinister below the surface. That's exactly how I feel about that. So I'm going to send you a one-line summary, because this is a very simple plot, and I don't want to ruin anything for you. I wasn't even going to give you one, but I think it's a good one-line summary. All right. Well, let me see what the best that IMDb has to offer. All right. Here you go. A recently widowed man's son calls a radio talk show in an attempt to find his father a partner. That kid needs to be grounded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not thrilled. However, let's get into this. Are you ready? Um, Sure. Rom-com me, Danielle. It's classic rom-com. And another pairing of our favorite Tom Hanks and... Whatever her name is. Meg Ryan? (laughs) Meg Ryan, There you go. All right. So this movie opens in in Chicago at a cemetery with a man, Tom Hanks. Is he having a black umbrella? Maybe. I can't quite remember the scene, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a black umbrella. I'm just saying, all movie funerals. It is fall. They're in winter or winter. They're in light coats. All movie funerals, all movie scenes in a cemetery have to have rain and black umbrellas. It's like some kind of code of... The movie guild or something. Yeah, I don't remember if there's umbrellas, but they're definitely in coats in the like 90s pea coats that everybody seemed to own. Ooh, pea coat. And his son, they're standing at a grave. There's a voiceover saying that mommy got sick and there wasn't anything that they could do. They cut to after the funeral. They are in a house having, I assume, the little service. 
and the woman a woman is holding up Tupperware telling him that it's five minutes in the microwave which seems like an inordinately long amount of time were microwaves different back in the 90s I Danielle you're asking the wrong person but also how big <laughs> is this Tupperware because if it's like a solid block of soup or something that could take five minutes to heat up I believe it but no they're just like little containers like regular Tupperware containers they're not like they're not they don't look frozen or anything I think it's just people brought stuff maybe they're, they're uncooked she's like this is gonna have to be cooked thoroughly to kill the bacteria because it's on it's raw hamburger or something maybe but it doesn't look like it, it looks like green beans or something oh never so mind then <laughs> and so he's only half listening he's staring sadly out the window yeah like at the, at the wake for your somebody's partner maybe it's not the best time to teach them new microwave recipes yeah okay sure you tell them <laughs> <laughs> just saying like they have other things that they're dealing with Okay, cut to him being at work, and I think it's he's an architect because it of looks, course it's, this, it's the '90s, and they have draft boards like draft tables. So wasn't I have to assume John Cusack and Serendipity an architect? Probably, uh, definitely. What's his face from uh, Keanu Reeves from The Lake House? That might be what I'm thinking of. That might be what I'm thinking of. Yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. All everybody in a '90s movie is an architect. It's just law i don't know what it's just like the perfect like oh they don't have any hours and they can you know they're free spirit and creative or something i don't know i think it's that they're like creative and they're rich assumedly because they've always like done something major in the city it's never like a down on their luck architect or somebody who's or like, like most just architects starting out. who are like just trying to part of a large firm and just you know doing what they have to do to get by yeah no they're always the ones that are making a million dollars and they like designed a park in the middle of new york or sure. something <laughs> Architects make parks? Yes. I thought that was a different thing. I thought it was a different... I don't know. They probably work with other departments. If you're a parkitect, let me know. <laughs> I assume that's what they're called. So a man comes over, uh, maybe his boss? I don't know. It's unclear. And he hands him a, a card for a shrink, quote unquote. And Tom uh. Hanks pulls... Tom Hanks pulls out a pile of cards from his desk that are like grief support cards, parents without partners, cancer support, etc. And he gets angry at the man and he parrots advice back that he should just commit all his life to work. Like that'll help him get over everything. (laughs) That's what people have been telling him, apparently. His friends are awful. I mean, you don't inundate (laughs) your recently widowed friends with, here are a bunch of cards you can get over the death of your wife yesterday. Yes, I think they're all well-meaning, but I assume it's been a week or two. I I don't know if they're well-meaning or not, because uh, that sounds like they're terrible and insensitive. And also, devote yourself to work so you can get over your grief? That's a capitalist nightmare. Yeah. Well, somebody's told him that, because you can tell he's just parroting something back. But then he kind of half-apologizes to the guy and says what he what he really needs is change. And the man's like, yeah, that's a good idea. You should take some time off. Yes, you should go, you know, go fishing with your son. So the man tells him that's a good idea, and Tom says that he wants to move someplace where he doesn't think of Maggie all the time. Wait. He's decided he- Is the character's name Tom? No. Okay. That was my question. <laughs> but I don't know his name at this time. Yeah, okay. We'll get to his name later. <laughs> I'm just making sure that I, I'm like, that's a coincidence. Got, all right, good. Great. Proceed. Sometimes they do that. They give the oh, character's names that they actually have. <laughs> I know. That's why I asked you to clarify. So No. The, uh, Tom says he's gonna move, uh, that he d- wants to move someplace where he doesn't like walk around every street corner and see Maggie. And he's decided he probably wants to move to Seattle. Because he likes rain and not much else? Yep. Okay. That's it. <laughs> Seattle's lovely. I would live in Seattle. It's a beautiful city. It's actually true. We love you, Seattle. So cut to him being dropped off at airport by what I assume is his sister, who is played by Rita Wilson, who is actually his wife. So... Who knows? <laughs> that That's weird. I mean, that's kind of like, I'm glad Joan and John Cusack had never played 
like lovers in a movie because that would be insane. That would never happen. Why would they ever do that? I don't know, Danielle, but like, <laughs> I just really, like, you think about, like, oh, sometimes you know, it's just acting, but you're like, no, that's just a lie you don't cross. I think it would be weird if this movie involved more kissing that his sister saw. That would be kind of weird because oh, then okay. you'd be like making out with another actress while your, your wife was sitting there, yeah. which might be a little weird for filming. But luckily, that doesn't seem to happen in this film. Oh, well, I'm sure they have consummate professionals. I'm sure they understand the, the obligations of the job. And they probably had a good time working together, oh, I yeah. imagine. Yeah, it's the best part. So she seems to, I mean, she's a little trepidatious, I guess, about the move, but is excited for him to like maybe start over and maybe he'll meet somebody new and it's a fresh start and, you know, she'll miss him, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course. Cue to Baltimore 18 months later. Okay, two things. Yes. First, Baltimore is not Seattle. Uh, it is not? <laughs> did he just move to Seattle on a whim with no job lined up and no prospects? And that like seems to be the case. I mean, maybe he figured something out between saying, I think I'm going to move to Seattle to moving to Seattle. Yeah. It's unclear. I feel bad for his son because like, it's a big move for a kid who I'm assuming he's probably like, what, 10 or 12 or something? Eight. Eight. Okay, I was close. So a young kid like moving schools, yikes. Yeah, that's that's a hard move. But, I mean, you yeah. know, he needs to start fresh, I guess. I would have assumed he would have put more thought into it, but I'm not Tom, the no-name character in this movie. So, cue Baltimore, Sam, 18 months later. Yes, Baltimore, sure. not Seattle, not New York. <laughs> Baltimore. Is it Baltimore, Maryland, or Baltimore somewhere else? Baltimore, Maryland. Is there another Baltimore? I have no idea. <laughs> so Bill Pullman and Meg Ryan are leaving their house. <laughs> oh, of course. There's the other couple, because these movies don't have, like, a bad couple that Tom Hanks is the amazing guy who's better for her than her terrible fiancé. I'm not going to tell you that. You're going to have to find out. But also, Bill Pullman is amazing, and she is lucky to have him. Yeah, Bill Pullman, his name is Walter in this, is clearly meeting her family for the first time during Christmas. Oof. He's running through the list of family members as they leave their house and, like, all their stories, and she's kind of, like, half-quizzing him on them as they get into their separate cars, which is an interesting choice. Sure, I guess. they're going to the same place. <laughs> the environment can take one for the team, I guess. <laughs> He's worried they're going to hate him, and she insists that they won't. And at dinner that night, they announce that they're engaged, and the family is thrilled. So Yay! wait, this is the first time he's meeting her family, yes! and they're like, surprise, we're engaged. Did they just start dating like two months ago? What's going on here? I don't know how long they've dated, but apparently this is the first time that literally anybody in the family seems to have met him. Does she live in Baltimore, or is she visiting from yes. Seattle? Okay. No, she, That's I think she lives in crazier. Baltimore. Because if she lives near her family and they're not estranged or anything, and she they have never met her fiancé up until the point that he is her fiancé, wild. Yeah, there's several cities this bounces in between, so maybe she lives somewhere else, but I'm pretty sure she lives in Baltimore with Walter, because they share a bed, multiple scenes. Baltimore, and, yeah, got her it. They're apparently within <laughs> driving distance of their family, both their families. And they have never met Baltimore before. Yeah. They've never met Walt. Did you say Baltimore? <laughs> yeah, because he's Baltimore. He's Walt from Baltimore. Baltimore. <laughs> okay, whatever, Baltimore. <laughs> so, and also, just so you know, David Hyde Pierce is here. Oh, the whole Yay! crew. He's the brother of Meg Ryan, who I still don't know the name of this far in the story. Sure. And uh, Walter starts to sneeze and during the announcement, and apparently he's allergic to everything, and he apologizes that he's sneezing at such an inopportune time. It's okay. He'll be president of the United States later. It's fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. And he doesn't <laughs> sneeze once in that movie. Not once. <laughs> Even during the <laughs> alien invasion. Allergy shots. <laughs> <laughs> I think Meg Ryan really missed the boat here. She's like, Tom Hanks or the future president? <laughs> 
Yep. She should have gone with future president. Future president of Earth again after the invasion's over? I don't know how that's going to end up after that whole thing happened. I think he's the president forever because once you save the yeah. entire world from an invasion, you're good to go. Yeah, I mean, people are <laughs> You don't like, have to get re-elected yeah. ever. Like, who's going to vote against him? Are oh, you seeing the aliens? <laughs> yeah, but I don't like his fiscal policy. <laughs> And it was a lot more moderate then, so it's fine. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So we now find out that this woman's name is Annie. Uh, I'll so Annie and Walter. Sure. Uh, later that night, Annie's mom is showing her her grandmother's wedding dress. Her mom loves him. Apparently, like I said, this is the first time his mom, her mom, has met him. Just again, as you said, totally crazy. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> bonkers. But I'm glad they're supportive. Yeah, it gets worse because her her mom asks her how they met, like how they got together. Uh huh. Let me guess. She threw a dart in a bar, and the first guy it stuck into was the one she decided to start dating. No, but isn't it weird that her mom doesn't know how she met this person she's now engaged to? I mean, only <laughs> if they had met before, but this is literally the first Did time- Did they not talk on the phone? Like, she's not even said, hey, mom, I met this cool new guy, like, nope. at a bar, <laughs> but threw a dart into him. <laughs> Here's my speculation. All right. Meg Ryan- is a serial dater, like a serial engagement person. Like she goes through all these, like she meets a guy, two months later, you know, she gets engaged. Her family says, stop paying attention. That must be it. Now we know. Sure. Well, this particular person she met because he's the associate publisher at the office that she works at, which seems to be a newspaper office of some So kind. she's dating in the workplace. She absolutely is. Oof. They don't seem to, like, directly work together. They seem like okay. maybe they work at separate locations. That's a little better. Because you never see him at work. They accidentally swapped sandwich orders one day at a local deli, and he was allergic to hers because she had wheat bread, but it was the exact same order. It was a tomato lettuce sandwich. So I was going to say this is a meat cute, but I guess it's a lack of meat cute. Hey, see what you did there. <laughs> uh, uh, deli humor. <laughs> so they hit it off and they've been together ever since then. And he, her mom thinks it's fate because they both ordered the same exact tomato and lettuce sandwich. And isn't that weird? Nobody orders a tomato and lettuce sandwich. I mean, yeah, it's not a sandwich. It's barely a salad. <laughs> <laughs> That's what her mom's saying. And Annie denounces this. She's like, okay, fate doesn't exist. Everything's just a coincidence. Blah, blah, blah. So she would not be happy in serendipity. Absolutely not. Good. <laughs> So her re her mom retells the story of how her and Annie's father got together. And when they held hands, it was just pure magic. She knew then and there that he was the one. She was, she was so sure that they were going to get married, just like Cinderella magic hands. <laughs> sure. Fine movie. Do your magic hands. I'm not going to argue about it because I said everything I need to say about it in that Cinderella episode. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. Listen to that, everybody, if you need a background on uh, magic hands magic and why Sam is vehemently against them. I'm not like, <laughs> saying you can't have love at first hand touch, but I am saying it probably shouldn't be your primary criterion. Well, apparently it's for the mom, and she's like, you know, and I knew for sure that we were going to get married, just like you know with Walter, and she... You can tell that Annie's just a little thrown off by this. Like, am I sure? Like, magic hand touch sure with Walter? <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing, like, oh, the mom's like, oh, I'm so sure this is the one. Just proves my point. So she's by now dressed in her grandma's dress. She's been changing during the scene. And then she goes to hug her mom. It The seam rips on the arm. Yeah, because like a million years old, the dress. <laughs> yeah. No, she's concerned it's a sign. And her mom's like, honey, you don't believe in signs. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Got ya. <laughs> So for some reason, Walter and Annie took separate cars, as I said, and now they're on their way to his parents' house for Christmas morning. 
And I think the only reason they're in separate cars is so we could have this scene, which is Annie is listening to the radio. She's like turning from station to station. Oh, no. And she <laughs> ends up on a late night talk show and she catches a woman interviewing a young boy who is called in unexpectedly. She's like, oh, you're much younger than our normal listeners. And this kid's name is Jonah. He's sure. in Seattle. Question. And she's asking him what his Christmas wish is. All right. Yes. I don't know how radio in the 90s worked, but was it more local? <laughs> Did, like, broadcasts reach yeah, from Seattle to Maryland? Yeah, I guess. But you could like, have national broadcasts. That's, that's true, I guess. All right. Well, carry on then. I, but this feels like a local radio thing. No, this is like a syndicated talk show, like oh. a national talk show. Oh, okay. I guess that makes a little bit more. I was thinking it was like a local DJ and the kid was just calling in and saying, hey, my dad needs a date. Anyone in the area want to date No, him? this is this is one of those shows with like a doctor who has like like a Frasier-esque thing oh, okay. where like people call in from but all Frasier over. But Frasier was in Seattle. I'm just saying I'm a Frasier-esque thing, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> David so, Hyde Pierce, Seattle. Yeah, see? It's all Frasier. <laughs> this is just a Frasier movie. This is it's just like a side tangent of Frasier. Sure. Okay. It all goes back to Cheers. They were going to do a spinoff. <laughs> spinoff of a spinoff. It was spinoff. <laughs> so Jonah's like, this isn't for me. This is for my dad. And the radio host asks where his mom is. And Jonah explains that she died. And he's been pretty sad about this, but he thinks his dad is worse off than he is. Oh, okay. Sure. I mean, I'm glad he's a perceptive and sensitive young boy but i also hope that he is not feeling like he has to be the strong one for his father no i don't think he does and he's like the classic 90s child where okay. it's like too wise precocious. for the yeah. yeah like overly precocious for their years yeah okay but still a kid yeah. so the host asks him if his dad is there at the house and if he's busy and jonah's like no he's not busy he's like standing on the porch and the host asks him to go and get him just standing there looking out at the horizon <laughs> It is the Seattle horizon, the haze of gray clouds. Well, they live on a lake, like literally on a lake. Like they walk out their front door and it is a deck on the water. Uh, I'm no geography expert, Danielle. (laughs) Aren't there any lakes in Seattle? I, I don't know. It's a very large lake. I'm not even sure you can see the. It I could guess. be the ocean. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, it's like he's literally. It is like the the definition of a lake house. It is like on the water. It's got to be floating half on the water. Like it's wild. I mean, it's wild in house. the name there, Seattle. Like, am I crazy? It could be part of it, like an inlet. I would guess. It's okay. fine, I guess. Sure, fine. I mean, again, I'm not familiar with Seattle geography, so I'll, I'll defer to this movie. I'm sure it's 100 accurate. Yes. I'm sure. Seattle listeners, of yes. which I'm sure there's at least one out there. Probably. <laughs> if you have seen Sleepless in Seattle and you know where this house is located, feel free to tell us. We've both been to Seattle, Daniel. How do we not know this? I've been to Seattle many times. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Again, as you said, I don't know enough about the geography and I've stayed mostly in the city, not yeah, on right. little like, coastal areas. I think this is on me, I suppose. Maybe they're in like some outlying area of like the, the greater Seattle metro area, but yes, I assume he said I'm moving to Seattle, he's moving to the city. Yeah, I, I would assume so too. He was an architect. He has millions of dollars. He's fine. Yeah. Oh, I didn't say he was. Well, he does live in the city. So Annie at this point is yelling at the radio host that she's a terrible woman because he, like you shouldn't involve the dad in this dumb conversation. Wait, what? And jo- <laughs> No joke, because he, he, the host is like, go get your dad. I want to talk to him yeah, on the radio that's reasonable. <laughs> if your underaged child who is eight years old calls into a talk show, like, maybe get a parent involved so they can be aware of the situation. 
But they also know the parents grieving. So it's like, I was a little bit on Annie's side. Like, I don't think the kids should be calling either. They probably shouldn't have necessarily let the kid on the show, but yes. anything for ratings, I'm no, sure. I mean, it depends what the, the talk show host about to do. But if I was a talk show host, I'd be like, hey, your son called. They're clearly very stressed. You should probably get them some counseling and make sure that they are okay in handling this well. I mean, I'm sure you're struggling too, and that's not my business, but, you know, your child. That's not what happened. This is all live on the air. For, yeah. <laughs> this is like a literal call for help from the kid. You would want to inform the parent. That's my perspective, but clearly, like this half of half yeah. of that is true, Sam. What you just said, half of that conversation occurs. <laughs> oh no, which half? <laughs> so, like I said, Annie's yelling at the radio station. Jonah, like she's like, Jonah, just hang up. And I was like, Jonah, hang up the phone because yeah. it feels like it's going to be bad. You're like, don't do it. He's grieving. He doesn't want to talk on the radio station to the entire country. I about forgot his movie. Grief. It's going to be bad. <laughs> So Jonah's scared that his dad's going to be mad at him, but the host encourages him, telling him he won't get mad because he's just been trying to help and, you know, that's a good thing to do. And Jonah finally relents, telling her that if his dad gets mad, he's never listening to her show again. <laughs> Fair. So, like I said, they seem to live live on this lake, river, inlet, whatever, the porch is on the water, Tom Hanks. And there doesn't seem to be a chair out on the porch, as far as I can tell. He's, he's like they're, oh, they're always just standing on the porch, which is weird. Put a swing in or something. I'll have like a porch swing. Yeah, it's crazy. And he's standing out there looking forlornly out at the water as you pegged earlier. And this is where we find out that Tom Hanks' name is Sam. Sorry, Sam. (laughs) Well, I mean, Tom Hanks and I are both handsome, charismatic men, so it works. Yes, so that might be weird. If I can can continue calling him Tom Hanks, if that's going to be weird for you. Call him whatever you want, Danielle. I am self-aware enough to understand that there are more people in this world named Sam than just... (laughs) I have shared classrooms and offices with them. That's true. So I'm going to go with Sam because I think the rest of my notes say that. Great. Perfect. <laughs> That's where I found out his name. So he comes in to answer the phone. He obviously doesn't know what's going on. And the host explains that she's Dr. Marsha Fieldstone from the ra- from whatever the radio station's called. And his son is called asking how to find him a new wife. That his son is very worried about him, that it seems hard for his son to talk to him about it. And at this point, he's like, uh, looking over at Jonah, he's like, Jonah, you've got to come out here. If I've got to be on this radio show, you've got to be standing here, like, dealing with this as well. None of this seems healthy. <laughs> so his son's on the other line, like he's picked up the other phone, you know, when phones had, yeah. uh, you could actually be on the same line at the same time. Mm, those were the days. Jo- <laughs> Jonah Back in my dad. day, computers <laughs> scream data at each other through the phone lines. True story. <laughs> Jonah begs his dad to talk to her because she's a doctor and she might be able to help. And he's like clearly just humoring his son at this point. So uh, obviously Sam does talk to her because especially after the doctor says like, this is your son's Christmas wish, which is a little inducing. (laughs) She asks him how long ago his wife died and if he's dated since then. And he hasn't. And obviously it's been about. He says a little over a year, but approximately 18 months, as we know. And Dr. Marsha tells him that she doesn't want to invade his privacy. Uh, and both <laughs> both Annie and Sam say at the same time, sure you do, <laughs> which is Annie thinks is funny. So he's glaring at his son, but he's talking to the host, saying that he's had a hard time at the beginning, but he thinks that they'll be a lot better after he breaks the radio. <laughs> <laughs> the script is funny. I'm going to give Sleepless in Seattle a lot of credit because it's Nora Ephraim and they like, it's yeah, like, a, cl- like a classic 90s movie. It's it's a well-written script. It just gets insane. Yeah, quickly. yeah. That's, like I said, things can be crazy and great. It's perfectly reasonable. Yep. So the doctor asks him if he's sleeping at all at night, and Jonah says he isn't, and he 
it basically is accepted that he's on this call talking to this doctor at this point. Um, and he tells her that he suddenly just kind of starts talking about his wife saying, you know, well, it's Christmas time. And this is the time where, you know, my wife made everything beautiful. And it's obviously been really hard because it's the holidays. And she asks him if maybe he needs someone just as much as his son does. And then it goes to commercial break, which is an insane time to cut for commercial break. Was this a made for TV movie? No, like it's she goes, we're going to commercial oh, break God. before he can even like answer that question. I had a brief like horrific premonition that this was going to turn to like fur crazy or something. <laughs> no, with the same idea of like, oh, it's all about Christmas, and then my wife died, and it made me sad and angry, and I took it out in this poor Christmas tree seller. <laughs> This is like the origin of Colin Mockery's character in that movie. Good movie. Good movie. Mm, it's, a, it's a movie. Great episode. <laughs> so this is like they're doing the little commercial break. They're just sitting on the phone waiting. And his son tells him this is when people get to call in and dump on what he what he says. And the dad is like, cool, this is really fun. It's been helpful. I appreciate you calling the radio host. <laughs> you know, Tom Hanks's glib yeah. But sarcasm. also your son's eight. Cut some slack. He is. He's been totally nice to his son about okay. it. You can tell he's like being a little sarcastic to him, but he's he's not been anything but nice to all him right, about all it. Right. It's hard to know what tone he has from your description, obviously. He's a great dad. It's Tom Hanks with this kid like That's in the nineties. Obviously, obviously he's a great father. Okay. Sorry, sorry, I should have known. That's on me. <laughs> So Annie stops to get a coffee from a diner as she's driving and the servers are chatting about the radio show because they can have it on the background and how he seems so great. And they're back on the air and she, you know, runs back to her car to continue listening. And the host asks him if he thinks there's someone out there that he'll love as much as he loved his wife. And he's like, well, that's really hard to imagine. Also, like, it's not quantifiable. Yeah, I know. It's a weird question. <laughs> like, I can love someone differently than I love my wife. I don't know if there's like more or less. I think that's what she was probably asking, but as a doctor, you think she would phrase that better? As like a professional psychiatrist, right? Or something, a therapist? I assume that she's some kind of, yeah, but I mean, she could be a doctor of anything. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> like I'm they, a they never say what are <laughs> This is foot talk. Uh, today we have a grieving widower talking about his feelings on foot talk. Uh, do you have any bunions we could discuss, Mr. Sam? <laughs> Mr. Sam, whatever your last name is. <laughs> I don't know it. You don't know it. I don't remember it. Yeah. All right. She So the doctor asks what he's going to do, and he says he's just going to get out of bed every morning and live his life and hope that each day he'll heal a little, essentially. Like, each day will get better and better. Reasonable. Let him go. And as he talks about his wife a little bit more, Annie cries in the car. And he says that he knew when he held her hand and helped her out of the car that that was – that she was the one for him. Because Cinderella rules. Yeah. Again. <laughs> Twice now. I'm kind of fulfilling life with her. I'm still not in support of Cinderella rules. Magic hands. Well, this one is full of magic hands. Great. All right. The show ends and they sign him off as being sleepless in Seattle. Take a shot. So the whole... <laughs> said the name of the movie. <laughs> the whole reason he has to have insomnia is so they can get the name of the movie into this conversation. Uh, yeah, because it doesn't really play a pivotal role. <laughs> yeah. Is it, does it matter? He's like... Does Meg Ryan come in to cure his insomnia as like a sleep expert or something? Yes, that's what her job is in the publishing world. I don't know, Daniel. Why else would it be called like Sleepers in Seattle? So much focus on his lack of sleep. They must spend a lot of time not sleeping in this movie. That's why. Well, most movies involve people not sleeping. Like, you don't sit and watch a, like, a person sleep for 12 hours. Yes, yeah, so they spend a lot of time getting out of bed and not sleeping like they're supposed to be. So, cut to the newspaper office. Rosie O'Donnell is reading off leads, I guess. Sure. Let's get Rosie O'Donnell in this movie. <laughs> the Why 90s, not? come on. Yeah. 
of which one of the leads is that the phone service was tied up for two hours Christmas Eve due to this radio program about this guy needing a new wife, and 2,000 women ended up calling in to ask for the guy's info. Ooh, that's just creepy, right? A little bit. I mean, it's like really early online dating, kind of. Yeah, I guess. And they did hear, at least they like heard him talk on the radio, and they liked how much he talked about his wife, I guess. It was a little weird, though. Yeah, like, hey, I heard this guy telling how much he misses his wife and is struggling with his child. I need to get me a piece of that. Really get yeah, into his a- life and get involved. I can fix it. I personally would not have done that, but I guess I could see why people might, I suppose. But it's a little, what's the plan? Like, you're going to write to him and start a pen pal thing? I don't know. This is where it turns into you've got mail, apparently. Sure. Okay. And Annie's like, oh, I heard that. And she recaps it for them and tells them how it made her cry, just like those Polaroid commercials. And the two women are like, oh my god, the, yeah, that commercial makes me cry every time. And the men in the office just look at each other like, woman, am I right? Oh, uh, sexism. <laughs> Gotta love the 90s. <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple of great moments in this where you're like, oh, it's so 90s. <laughs> Rosie tells Annie that she needs to write something about it and they go to lunch. And uh, at lunch, Rosie's like, you seem really into this guy. And she's like, no, no, dude, I'm into Walter. Like, he's great. I love him. You know, we're going to get married. It's going to be great. Sure. sure you are, Meg Ryan. <laughs> yeah, obviously Meg Ryan doesn't know what she's doing. Because women <laughs> never know who's right for them until the universe sets them up the right person. I mean, I know that's how my life's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's New Year's Eve, and Walter and Annie are at a big party. They're dancing. He says he's got all these big meetings coming up and travels for work, and that they should meet in New York City for Valentine's Day. And they can do tourist things. They can register for gifts. And she's all in on this idea until the gift registering bit comes up, and then she's like a little contemplative about the whole situation. Aww. Meanwhile, in Seattle, Tom wakes up his kid off the couch as the ball drops um, to show him the new year. He's like, hey, Jonah, look, it's the new year. And Jonah's like, man, I don't care. I'm asleep and I'm eat. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so he picks him up and he puts him in bed as old like Zion plays in the background. So uh, seemingly the next day, I don't know, time has no meaning in this movie. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> none of our movies seem to be able to have a coherent timeline. <laughs> so yeah, sometime after New Year's, Sam is at a, a job site and the owner of the house is there. Um, and she's like, oh, I heard your radio thing. I told everyone I know, you know, I was so surprised to hear you on that. I'm so sorry, for, you know, for everything that's going on. Let me know if you need any help. Uh, <laughs> Super weird. Yeah. So he gets home and the mailman is dropping off a huge pile of mail, all addressed to Sleepless in Seattle. And How did they get ins- his address? We'll get there in a second. No. And inside, Jonah's opening up the letters and Sam is like, how did they get my address? Yeah. <laughs> and Jonah's like, oh, the radio station called and asked for it. Obviously, I gave it to them. <laughs> and Sam's like, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. Don't do that, buddy. No, stranger danger. <laughs> well, it's all coming through the radio station. It's not coming through. I assume. Like, it's probably mailed to the, maybe to the radio station, and the radio station's mailing him So the these women are like, I have such a desire for this sad man that I am going to write a letter to the radio station and hope they somehow can forward it to him? Yes. Crazy. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> Bonkers. I mean, I think it's just as odd as the people who write, like, convicts in prison or whatever. It's the same concept, but maybe healthier. Sure. So Jonas starts to read one of the letters out loud. Dear Sleepless in Seattle, you're the most attractive man I've ever laid ears on. No, <laughs> thank kid, you. Yeah, the kid scoffs and throws it over his shoulder. <laughs> Even the eight-year-old is like, no. 
Hard pass. Reasonable. One's from Oklahoma, and Sam says they're going to have to rule out anybody who doesn't live near them. He's like kind of half getting about that, obviously. And Jonah asks him if he's planning on reading any of them, and Sam's like, no, but you know, you go ahead, buddy. <laughs> he's like, I want to meet people naturally, see someone I like, take them out for a drink. And then he ponders if it still works that way, and his son shakes his head wisely and says, no, it doesn't. They ask you out now. And Sam's like, yeah, I'm beginning to realize that. What's wrong with women asking you out? Nothing, but it's the 1993, so you know. I guess so. And apparently it comes up later. The last time he dated was like 1978 or something, so it's been a hot minute. I mean, fair. Back in Baltimore, Annie and Walter are getting ready for bed as Walter pours water into his humidifier. Annie stares at him after he falls asleep, looking deeply unhappy. <laughs> Why is somebody who has allergies portrayed as like a moral failing in these movies? I don't think it's a moral failing. So far, at least, Walter seemed like a perfectly decent human being. Okay. But when's the other shoe going to drop so you can dump him for Sam? You'll find out. Also, I mean, I get it. Sam's are universally the best, so. I mean, yeah, why wouldn't you go after Sam, apparently, exactly. if you had a Walter? I mean, Walters are great, but they're no Sam. <laughs> Bill Pullman's great, but you know, not Tom Hanks. No, I think I think the Sam is the important part here. <laughs> the important part. Okay. <laughs> so she gets up and she starts to wander through the house, and then she finally turns on the radio and she catches the best of Dr. Marsha, which is like small clips Marcia, of different Marsha Marsha. Yes. Small clips of different people and their problems. And they replay Sam's clip. And it goes on for like at least five times longer than anybody else's clip does, what of course. Is up. And then she just sits at the table and cries as she peels an apple. Sure, crying while peeling an apple. You do you, Meg Ryan. So the next day, she rushes into her brother's office. Again, David Hyde Pierce, just for memory's sake. Uh, I remember. I can never forget David Hyde Pierce. He must have spent like two minutes filming this movie. He's yeah, of not course. much of it. Unfortunately. <laughs> and he's like, I th she goes, I think I'm going crazy. Are you happily married? Why did you get married? And he's like, well, she said it was time to get married so i got married <laughs> and uh she's like where did you think that you when you met each other did you think that it was fated was it like some mystical cosmic connection that we were like you guys were the only people for each other and he's like no I <laughs> he's right? like, no you're crazy he goes the he says that fate is just two neuroses knowing they're a perfect match for each other i I, I suppose that's one way to look at it, I guess. <laughs> she's frustrated and says she's having all these fantasies about this man that she's never met that lives in Seattle. And it rains nine months out of the year in Seattle. She doesn't want to live in Seattle. It's just it's just cold feet. It has to be cold feet. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I like that it goes from I am having fantasies about this guy I listen to on the radio to I can't live in Seattle. Like that's the next logical she's jump. Down in. the rabbit hole far. <laughs> And he, so she goes, like, it's just cold feet. It's just cold feet about the wedding. And he's like, yeah, that must be it. And she's like, okay, I feel so much better now. Thanks. Bye. And he's like, okay, crazy lady. People in these movies always, like, upend their lives on a whim. That's 100% what she does. I'm not saying that, like, you can't have second thoughts or decide to change your mind. But, like, must move to Seattle but get married to some random guy with like, his own kid without even dating, like, you gotta, people aren't that reckless usually. And if they are, that usually means there's something else wrong. Yeah. So buckle in, buddy. Oh, it's, no. It's about to get crazy. <laughs> like, this is the beginning of the crazy. Okay, so we've gone through all the, the setup, and now we're actually getting to the crazy. Okay, I was wondering exactly. what was going to happen, because you're like, oh, this is sinister. Like, it's not sinister yet. It's weird, but not sinister. 
It's sinister. Meanwhile, Sam is talking to his friend about dating again. Like, he's clearly been thinking about it after his son with the radio. And like I said, he's apparently, he apparently last dated in 1978, so it's been a minute. And his friend recommends that he uh, check out the decorator of one of the jobs that they did, Victoria. And Sam is like, I don't even know how to do that. And his friend recommends calling her up to look at swatches, <laughs> which is funny. That's a good first date. <laughs> hey, baby, can I come over to get your swatches? Yeah, there's a whole, like, bit that they do about it. It's actually pretty funny. Like I said, the writing's completely solid. That is not the problem of this movie. (laughs) I love it. Perfect. So he gets home, and he calls out for Jonah. And he's, like, going around the house. He's like, Jonah, Jonah, where are you? And he's not answering. He, like, can clearly, you can tell he's getting a little freaked out. He finally makes it up to Jonah's room, opens the door, and Jonah is inside um, with, I think, headphones on. And he's with a girl in his room. And his dad doesn't know the girl. This girl's name is Jessica. Who's Jessica? Who knows? He just lets them be. (laughs) Is Jessica his son's age? Yeah, around that age. Same, like, 8 to 10 range. So his son brought another child into their home without his knowledge. Yeah. So let's get, let's walk through this. Yes. Sam was not home. Yes. Jonah, the eight-year-old, is home alone on a lake house or an inlet house or an ocean house, which seems dangerous all by itself. Right. And then somehow he has another child that his father has never met in his house that assumedly either is running amok and the parents have no idea where Jessica is or... The parents allowed her to be alone in the house with the (laughs) eight-year-old. Like, just, just fine. Be, be there alone. Or she lied to them or something. But seriously, crazy stuff. Yeah. And he's, the kid's like, shut the door on your way out. And the dad shuts the door and is like, wait a second. And he like opens it back up like a foot or so and like goes downstairs looking all confused. (laughs) How did she even get there? Like, I'm assuming they're not like walking distance from most other homes because they're like in the rural lake house. There's a whole, it's not rural. There's like a whole other little community of little houses out Okay, so it's like a suburb kind of thing. Kind of, yeah. But like, it's, it's a, it's an interest. I'm sure this place kind of exists. It's just, I don't know. There's other houses nearby. So it's possible she's a neighbor kid or something, but it's clear that the dad has no idea who this child is. And that's a safe, uh, I'm not saying your, your child can't have alone time with their friends, but you should at least be aware of other children in your home for liability, for safety, for all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like, hey, Jessica, do you live nearby? Who are your parents? Are do they, they know around? you're here? Just, like, are they, they frantically looking for you? Are they going to think I kidnapped you? <laughs> no, he, he just hardcore just, like, turns around like, okay, well, you two kids have fun, and, like, goes back downstairs. I'm like, Sam, what are you doing? <laughs> I thought you said he was a great parent, Danielle. Well, other than this, he's fine. Okay. And they play it for comedy, and I'm like, this is not comedic. This is like a child who should be home and is not, and now another eight-year-old that's home alone. Like, it's wild. That is bonkers. So, seemingly determined that his kid apparently can get a date, but he can't. He's decided that he's back in the saddle. (laughs) You can tell he's reflecting on it. So, back in the saddle, the song plays in the background as he goes downstairs to get his Rolodex and a phone book because it's 1993. (laughs) Yeah. And he calls Victoria. Hey, Victoria, swatch me up, baby. Yes. He nervously asks her out on a date, and she is clearly, like, very excited. But you don't hear her end of it, but you hear his end of it. And he's, like, she's decided on the date, the place, the time, and that he's going to pick her up. Like, she's like, oh. He's, like, clearly going to be like, oh, where do you want to go? She's like, oh, yeah, that restaurant's fine. What time? Oh, that, yeah, 730 sounds good. Like, she's in it to win it. I appreciate her decisiveness, Danielle. It's nice to have someone who knows what they want. Me too. Meanwhile, back in Baltimore, Annie's watching Cary Grant movies, specifically in A Fair to Remember, while typing assumedly a 
story is what I assume she's doing. She's typing at the typewriter. And whining to Rosie that Cary Grant's time was a time where they knew how to be in love and nobody knew how to be in love anymore. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure all the women of that era would appreciate you saying that. Rosie's like, actually, your problem isn't that you want to be in love. It's that you want to be in love like you're in a movie. There's a difference. Thank you. (laughs) You want movie love, not real love. And then this is where you find out she's not writing like a journalism, an article. I don't know what she does at this place. She's writing a letter to Sleepless in Seattle. She's decided to send him a letter. No, don't send a letter. There wouldn't be any plot if she didn't send a letter, Sam. Okay, well, she can be crazy on her own time then. So Rosie asks her about Walter, and she's like, I love Walter. He's so unexpected. But what if this man is my destiny and I never meet him? And he's like, I really do want to meet him. And mimicking the lines in the Cary Grant movie, like as she's typing, Rosie suggests that they meet on top of the Empire State Building at sunset on Valentine's Day. But of course, it's going to be the Space Needle because Seattle. Well, she no, she specifically says in her letter that they're going to meet on the Empire State Building at sunset on Valentine's that Day. That doesn't make any sense. They're neither neither one of them live near New York. <laughs> neither of them live in New York, but they're going to meet there because this because this movie references an affair to remember, and that's the end of an affair. To, well. Almost the end of an affair to remember. Sure. But like, what? You don't have to do it because the movies, I don't. But the uh, movie is a big theme in this movie. Like the movie references that movie several times. It's like a thing. An ongoing joke of sorts. But no, it doesn't make any sense, Sam. She doesn't live in New York. He doesn't live in New York. Why either of them would go to New York is beyond me. It's like the furthest thing possible from him in Seattle. Like, Yeah, they didn't even meet in the middle somewhere, you know, the Midwest. Or like, make it easy. Like, if you want him to show up, like, if I got a random letter from a woman saying, hey, meet me at the Empire State Bill, I'd be like, I'm not buying like a $500 plane (laughs) ticket just to chance to meet some woman in New York and get a hotel. Like, make it easy for him. Just if it was, hey, me at the Space Needle, it's just a quick drive. I might chance that, you know? That's like, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. But it's the Empire State Building. (laughs) At at sunset on Valentine's Day. And Annie's like, yeah, I could squeeze that in. I'll be there with Walter. Wait, I'll be there with Walter. What am I even doing right now? And she pulls the letter out and she like crumples it all up and she throws it away. Does her friend send it on her behalf without her knowledge? I'm not telling you that, Sam. That is evil. You don't do that. It would be crazy because her friend was the one who was telling her that she wanted a movie romance and not a real one. Yeah. So back at work, Annie's calling around and digging into the radio show. She's uh, clearly decided to find out a little bit more about this guy, uh, even though she just gave up sure. meeting him, I guess. So she says she's doing a piece on calling radio shows and about the man that uh, in Seattle, and she calls in a few favors, and she eventually gets the number for their house. So she's abusing her role as a journalist to stalk this man. Absolutely. A thousand percent, yes. No! <laughs> she even uses their database and everything to, like, look him up here in a Rom-coms, minute. Rom-coms, like, treat absolute insane violations as if they're, like, normal or romantic. Yep. Like I said, buckle in. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, like I said, she stalks him using the new search database. She finds the obituary for Maggie, and she's all sad, reflecting on his love for her. And she eventually narrows her search down to four Samuel Baldwins. Apparently, that's his last name. Oh, of the Baldwin family. <laughs> yes. One arrested for grand larceny. That's one for him. accepting bribes. Probably not <laughs> the, him. The current world record holder in javelin toss. Could be both the uh, grand larceny and javelin toss. You don't know. 
and an architect that built City Plaza. And she's like, it's the architect. And I'm like, you hope it's the architect. Right? It'd be pretty cool if he was the Jocelyn Toss one, though. Like I'm saying, none of those are necessarily mutually exclusive. You could be a felon and a javelin tosser. Like It could be, but they're four separate people with the same name, clearly, uh, in the does she database. Get pictures of them? Do you know what their ages are? Like, no, she, she, I don't think she knows much of anything at this point. I think she just knows uh, the name and is like narrowing it down right now. She doesn't know much yet. Does she have any idea how old, like, the Sam she wants is? I don't even think it has ages on there. I think it just has their names. But I'm saying, but, like, she's trying to find this man who could be much well, younger, knows, much older than him. Well, she knows that he has, an eight, like, a kid, an eight-year-old, yeah. so it's so got to be somewhere in the eight-year-old range. So he anywhere from, like... 50 on down, sure. 25 to, you know, 50-something. Yeah, it could be, but... I don't know. She just assumes that he's... It's a movie. He's, she assumes that he's attractive and her, her age. It's fine, Sam. Bonkers. I... know. <laughs> so then she puts a background check on him to a PI that... No! That they have what? Undertaker. I have no idea, Sam. <laughs> so now she's using not just her privileges, but the actual money of her company on his private venture. Maybe she's paid the PI herself. I don't know. You never see this go down. Wild. So, back with Sam Baldwin on his date night. He leaves the kid with a babysitter, which is an improvement. Yeah, no and- kidding. No, you leave with, with Jessica or whoever to, like, maybe they babysit each other. <laughs> and throws him a note they received um, addressed to Seattle and son, hey, being like, hey, son, looks like we got one for both of us, because he's clearly just amused by all the letters coming and is never going to read any of them. And Sam is prancing around the apartment, giving last minute, like, high nervous energy babysitting requests. He's clearly, like, freaked out about his date. Aw, cute kid. No, not the kids. The adults doing this. Oh, what? No. The kids reading the, kids reading the letter from oh. that was addressed to Seattle and son. Well, that that makes no sense to me, but sure, go on. Because he threw him the letter. He's like, hey, this one's addressed to both of us because it says Seattle and sure, son on it. I don't see many adults prancing around in nervous energy before a date if they're an he's adult. He's like freaking out about it. You can okay. tell he's got, he's got like that Tom Hanks like – high uh, banter kind of like thing. manic yeah, thing yeah. going on while okay. he like wanders around and he's like clearly doesn't leave his kid very alone very often and is like you know this is the ipecac in case you need the ipecac <laughs> he just leaves a child alone with the other children in the house all the time danielle we yes. established this yeah wild maybe he was only out of the house for 10 minutes i don't know then the child snuck into those 10 minutes what's going on i don't even know sam i don't know <laughs> they act like it's totally i mean i probably was alone when i was eight year old i was actually talking to my mom about this recently sure about whether or not i was left alone when Danielle, i was eight we've been over this many times you cannot use your child as a metric for normalcy right but i but i also didn't live on an ocean so i felt like that was allowable on some level <laughs> If I was at all. Look, I'm not saying you can't leave your child alone for a few minutes, but also, like, the other child entering into this is the real problem. Yeah, it was really weird. And as far as I know, she he has still not met her parents. You never see this happen. You'll see. Insane. It's crazy. So, as he's going through all of his, like, last-minute suggestions, uh, Jonah interrupts him to say that the, the letter that uh, he just got tossed is a good one. It's from someone named Annie Reed. And apparently... Oh, no, the... Friend did send it. <laughs> Apparently in the letter, she references a baseball player that she thinks is the greatest baseball player of all time. And so does Sam. And Jonah's like, that's a sign. You both love the same baseball no. player. And t- and <laughs> Sam is like, well, yeah, everybody loves that baseball player. It's not a sign. It's not a sign, Jonah. And he leaves for his date. Lily likes saying that I love Michael Jordan. He's my favorite basketball player. And not just that's because he's the only basketball player I can probably name. <laughs> yeah. 
No, apparently she's into baseball, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And that's you, all it takes to be that. compatible is being into the same sports person. <laughs> that was in um, You've Got Mail, too. I think. Are they in the same? They talked about baseball on that movie. I do not remember. Maybe Nora Ephraim's got a big old thing for baseball. She probably does like baseball. So Victoria is excited to see him, but is immediate. they're immediately interrupted at the restaurant by a phone call. And it's for Sam. And it's Jonah. And he's like, is something wrong? And Jonah's just asking him if they can go to the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day because Annie wants to meet them there. And Sam is like, have you fallen down? Are you bleeding? Is the babysitter dead? Like, go to bed, Jonah. Why are you calling me at the restaurant? <laughs> like, stop. <laughs> yes. Also, Jonah, no. Let's go to the Empire State Building and meet some random person I got a letter from. None of this is healthy. It's a terrible, terrible idea. Sam needs to step up and be a parent and lay down some boundaries for his child. Well, he just did. He said, go to bed. Yeah, but he didn't like say, uh, your idea of us visiting the Empire State Building is dangerous and insane. Yeah, well, he's in the middle of a date. Maybe he's going to have that conversation with him later. Does he, Danielle? Not on site. I mean, you don't see it, but that doesn't uh -huh. mean it doesn't happen. <laughs> What's the rule? If it doesn't happen on the frame, it doesn't happen. <laughs> it probably doesn't. They don't exist outside of the frame. Exactly. And Jonah's like, no, I don't want to go to bed. Jessica's parents are travel agents. And they said if we book, like, now we can get an excursion fare. It's cheaper. And it's like, for the love of God, go to bed, Jonah. Say no and just hang up. <laughs> so at dinner, a man with a camera is taking pictures. And I assume it's the PI because. Very Andy's subtly taking pictures. Crazy. and just like up he's at their like face. He's like way over it. No, he's over it at like another <laughs> table. I'm going to imagine photos. him just like standing next to him going, click, click, uh, ignore me, click, click. <laughs> he's like, would you like a copy of the photos? <laughs> $10. It's like when the log flume ride, like, oh, you got the, when you exit, you can buy a photo memorabilia. Exactly that. <laughs> They have some restaurants. They don't do really as much anymore, but like they used to do that. They'd come up and take pictures or sell roses or whatever. Weren't those like theme restaurants like Rainforest Cafe or something? Mm-hmm. Sure. So next up, they're at Pike Place Market and Victoria's buying groceries to feed them dinner. And Sam introduces the two of them. Joda is less than enthused. And at dinner, Sam seems to be enjoying her company and is lively. It's like the first time you see him laughing and he's like so talking to her, telling her some Jonah story about work. already all about letter person, even though Victoria yeah, he's is like, real. He's like, I love Annie. I want you to be Annie. I feel like she's the one. And no, I don't like Victoria. He's an eight-year-old child. Someone needs to set this kid straight. Like, again, it, that actually does happen at some point. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to belittle children and they are, you know, we want to torture their independence and imagination, but like, that's not a healthy mindset. It's not. And basically, like, they get through dinner. Jonah's being polite, but clearly sassy. Like, he's, he's, you can tell he's been taught that he needs to say the right things and he's saying the right things, but he's saying them in a tone that's very, like, like yeah, sarcastic. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. It's good acting on the kid, actually. Aw. And he, uh, Jonah ends up asking Victoria if she likes baseball and starts to grill her. And Sam's like, okay, it's time for bed. And the kid's like, it's only 10 o'clock. Like, that's early. <laughs> like, that's not eight. early for an eight-year-old. 10 o'clock's super late. <laughs> yeah. Get that kid to bed and tell him, you get in the way of my date again and no TV for a month. <laughs> <laughs> So after he gets sent to bed, Jonah ends up sneaking back downstairs. She, he's spying on them as they chat outside on the porch, again, standing up, because I, again, do not think no there chairs. are chairs anywhere on no, this porch. No. We're a standing desk family. No chairs. <laughs> really chairs weird. are the devil's legs. <laughs> devil's legs. He's very concerned when they go in for a kiss, and he sneaks over to make a phone call. Is he calling the radio station again, Danielle? Or is he calling Annie? You'll find out. The phone rings at Annie's house in the yep. middle of the night. <laughs> And she whacks Walter as she's trying to answer, and it's 
it's Rosie. Becky is her name, but I've called her Rosie into my notes because until this moment, I did not know where her name was. Fair enough. Also, so it's Rosie. Sending that letter. Ugh. Yes. Well, nobody knows that yet. If that's what happened. It did and happen. Rose and Rosie is like, you have to turn on the radio. That kid's on. Go, go, go. So Andy makes her excuses to get out of bed and go listen to the radio. Uh, oh my gosh. That child should not be allowed near a phone. <laughs> Jonah's freaking out to the radio host about how they're kissing right now and explains that she came over with two bags of groceries like she was going to stay the whole week. And the host is like, you know, sometimes it's hard to see something new, even if it's something you thought you wanted. And Jonah's like, that's not it. And the host explains that his father should be able to pick whether someone is right or wrong for him, right? Like, yes. you have to trust your dad enough to know who's right for you guys. You know what's <laughs> insane about this movie? The host is going to be proven wrong. You know, everything <laughs> she's saying is actually correct. <laughs> At least in this moment, yes. Jonah thinks his dad, he goes, my dad's not sane enough right now to know the difference. No. <laughs> he, she thinks that he's, he, she, he says that she's... She, okay, the moment that Danny... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He says that she, he's been captured by, he says by captured by a hoe is what he says. Oh, Jonah, disrespectful to both women and your father. I know. Crazy. I don't like this child anymore, Danielle. <laughs> Dr. Marsha tells him that he should tell his dad tomorrow at breakfast how he's feeling. And it's not good to let his feelings stay inside of him. He should have an honest conversation with his father. And instead, Jonah hangs up the phone and screams. Cut scene to Annie also screaming because she's locked herself in a closet on the phone to listen to the radio with Rosie and Walter opens the door on her. How do you lock yourself in a closet? She just like crawled into the closet and pulled it shut behind her so she could listen to do the radio. Do closet doors lock? I don't think she locked it. Locked it. She just crawled into a closet and is like a little covered and is like hiding out in there to listen to the radio. So why is she screaming then? Because the door suddenly opened and Walter was standing there. Oh, okay. Got it. Thought you meant she was screaming because she locked herself in and couldn't get out. <laughs> no, sorry, locked was probably not the right verb for that, but she—that's the term. I, I, I know. Up. I understand it now in context as <laughs> euphemistic, but yes. So Annie seems unperturbed that like Walter caught her and is more just surprised that he was suddenly there. And Jonah, going back to him, tells his dad he thought he saw a black widow. And Annie, and meanwhile, keeps cutting back and forth, is apparently a terribly accomplished liar. And she just tells him that Rosie thought she'd heard her ex on the radio, but it turned out to be some guy in Duluth. And where is Duluth anyway? Like, she just, like, brushes it off in classic Meg Ryan fashion. And, like, he's like, ah, so weird. All right, tack to bed. <laughs> so thus far, everyone except Tom Hanks's movie is a terrible person. Well, also except for Walter. Walter's great. Walter so far has been great. <laughs> Maybe Walter and Tom Hanks should hook up because they're the only people in this movie who aren't terrible so far. I would watch that movie. Plot yeah. twist. You actually find out. <laughs> like, somehow through Annie, Walter, and yeah. Tom me, and it goes well. <laughs> Wouldn't it be an amazing movie? Is like, this crazy woman is like, yes, he will fall for me because I'm great. I'm this you know, perfect person for him. I'm going to write this crazy letter, get all up in his business, and he'll totally fall for me. And like, I'm going to forget my fiance, leave him behind. And he ends up falling for her, her fiance instead, and she's left out in the cold. I think if you give us 10 years, they'll remake Sleepless in Seattle, and that's exactly what's going to happen. Whoever owns the rights to us, Nora, give us a call. <laughs> we can make this amazing. <laughs> So, Jessica, the next day, is telling Jonah that he has to write Annie back because it's only hope that something might happen between Annie and his father. Why is Jessica involved? She's also eight. She's just also precocious. Sure. She's, I don't know who the actress is, but she's in a ton of stuff, especially as a kid, but also later in life. I'm just saying she should be telling 
Jonah to leave his poor father alone and let him live his life. Nope. She's also all on board for this. Annie then goes to Rosie the next day at work to tell her that she's decided she is actually going to write a piece on the radio show. And Rosie's like, sure, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And it sounds like you've no, got to go to see. It's got to go read that? To- <laughs> it's like, I think people would read that. It's a big yeah. deal. You can tell that it's like a popular thing. Okay. And Rosie's like, it sounds like you've got to go to Seattle to do that. Like, you you can't do it here. And she's like, yeah, I guess I got to go to Seattle. Like, it's clearly a little thing between them uh it's so like i have to interview this man and then break up his happy family yeah so cute to her telling walter about how she has to go to seattle to do this piece and walter's like can't you just do a phone interview and she's right. like nope not for the type of piece i have in mind definitely have to go to seattle <laughs> well uh, what type of piece does she have in mind and obviously she's emotionally cheating on walter big time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. not so- a good person <laughs> By total coincidence, Victoria seems to be leaving on a flight, and Sam takes her to the airport with Jonah. This is, again, the olden days where you could walk her to her gate. So he's standing there as they say goodbye, and Jonah's sassy to Victoria, and after she leaves, Sam gives him the talk about how he's just dating the woman, he's not marrying the woman, and this is what people do to find out if they're a good fit for each other, and, like, can he appreciate that? Because Jonah needs to calm the heck down, it's not appropriate what he's doing, he doesn't look at dad talk, you should be very proud out of him good yes the only person i like in this movie right now is tom hanks <laughs> yeah he's like can you please give her a chance after all there's no such thing as the perfect woman and out pops annie from the gate and he stops mid-sentence to look at her as she looks around the airport and wanders off and he's like uh we've got to go kid let's go and he follows behind her well uh he ruined it <laughs> <laughs> i liked him it's no longer the case we had a good run there tom <laughs> he doesn't know any better he doesn't know how crazy annie is <laughs> But also, like, you don't just follow some random stranger off a gate creep your stalker style. I don't think he's stalk- uh, I mean, yes, yeah. I would generally agree with this. However, I think what he's doing is like, oh, I'm interested in this woman because he has an immediate whatever magical connection, hand connection with her. And he's not like- I think he's just going to go introduce himself to her. So he's not like stalking her to her car and driving behind her or something weird. Still, like- <laughs> Airports are not the place for this because everyone is tired and cranky after long flights. A million bucks says several people have met their partners at airports. I'm sure they have, Danielle. I mean, people meet their partners literally everywhere. (laughs) I'm just saying that would not be the place I'd be like, yes, this is an excellent time for me to go flirt with some random woman getting off a plane. I don't know. I like airports. I don't feel like the sense of annoyance at being at airports that you do, so... I don't All know. Right, every me. dude out there, if you want to get with Danielle, <laughs> just accost her at the airport. She's coming off her gate after a long flight. She'll love it. Good luck finding me in an airport these days, but you never know. <laughs> just saying. Perfect time. <laughs> so Jonah doesn't catch any of this. He doesn't notice that he's like the that his dad's looking at a woman because he's eight, you know? And he's just following along behind his dad and he's explaining to him to his dad that Jessica says that she thinks that Annie and him knew each other in a past life and they're destined to be together. Uh... Because without each other, they're like puzzles with missing pieces. And the reason that Jonah knows this and his dad doesn't is because he's younger and pure, and so he's more in touch with the cosmic forces. <laughs> and uh... Sam Sam turns and looks at him and is like, wait. Who's telling you all of this? And he's like, Jessica. He's like, oh, for the love of God. (laughs) The child you just let into your house without supervision? This is partly on you, bud. (laughs) So he loses track of Annie in the crowd while all this is going on, because again, busy airport. And And they never met again. It was all done. And he went on to have a happy and healthy relationship with Victoria because they're both adults. And Jonah got over it because he grew up a little bit and it was all fine. 
Um, yeah, that might have happened, except that Annie has Sam's address. Of course and he does. And so she shows up at his house. Nope. <laughs> and she just misses them as she sees them boat off into the water. She doesn't, like, call ahead to, like, to schedule an interview. She's going to show up and ambush him? Yes. She goes to the door to knock on it, and then she hears a noise, so she goes around the house and she sees them, like, puttering off in their little... That's how journalism works. <laughs> well, that's what she's doing. She's not really journalisming. She is 100% just trying to meet him. She is. This is how stalkers work, Danielle. It's crazy. Why are we rooting for these people? I assume that would be her cover story if he actually answered the door if she had knocked on it. But, like, can you imagine if she was just like, hey, I wrote a letter to you. Yeah. I'm really obsessed with your story. I just wanted to meet you. I'm at your house. That is bonkers. I'm not sure she said, hey, I heard you on the radio and I flew out here from Baltimore to interview you in person for undisclosed reasons, I'd be like, no, no, thank you. Go away. <laughs> yeah. Not, none of the – I don't know what her idea was because I, I would be so annoyed if somebody showed up at my door yes. to interview me. Without clearing, not even calling versus set up so I could be prepared and be in the right mindset or like at least have a, a opening my calendar or whatever. Yeah. It's crazy, crazy weird. What's weirder is she tracks him in her car – uh, it's like where, following the boat in her car, like around the yeah, shore. Yeah, she like follows a road, uh, like over uh. a bridge or something, and she can see them, and she just tracks them until they pull up along a shoreside, and she parks across the street, and she watches them from behind a little business that's across the street as they play football and like hang out, and she's like, oh, what a good daddy is. So she's just 100% stalking him at this point. Yes, 100% stalking him. Perfect. Great. So at the hotel later, she's explaining to Rosie on the phone that she couldn't bring herself to talk to them, but she's going to do it tomorrow for sure. And she asks Rosie if this is crazy, and Rosie is like, no, that's yes. the weirdest part about it. I'm like, no, Rosie, it's insane. It's insane. It is insane, <laughs> unhealthy, possibly illegal. Like, none of this is good. She's creepily stalking him from across the street. She went and, to his house. And she his son. <laughs> she's stalking a child. It's weird. It's super weird. Also, like, whatever the outcome of this, if she, like, approaches him and it's going to blow up her relationship with Walter regardless. Yeah. She gives very little concern for Walter in some ways. She's a terrible person. She does bring up Walter several times and, like, kind of, you can tell she kind of realizes that she is. Yeah, she brings him up and is aware of the pain time. she is causing him, but does not care enough to stop to do anything if about he it. Knew, which, he doesn't know. So, you know. Yeah, but, like, she knows it's wrong and does it anyway, which is somehow worse. <laughs> Yeah. So she's the not next pretending morning, like she's doing this for journalistic reasons. She knows no. she's not. Yeah, she's not. The next morning, she's stalking him again, and a woman comes up, Rita Wilson. So again, I'm assuming it's his sister, just from the way they interact. And they both, both her and him and Jonah hug her, and are excited to see her. And Annie's kind of confused, because she's like, who is this woman? Like, what's going on? Oh, I gee. thought that he hadn't dated anybody. The person that you did know nothing about has <laughs> other people in his life. What a shocker. <laughs> And so she's like, she is, again, as I said, across the street and like across the little parking lot, so there's a little bit of space between them. So she almost gets hit by a car because she is approached, like starting to approach them. If and she did get hit by a car, it would serve her right. Well, she doesn't. It just honks. It draws the attention of everybody. And Sam realizes it's the lady from the airport. And he's like, what the heck? Why is she here? And he starts to walk towards her as if transfixed. And he says hello from across the road. And she says hello back. And then a taxi almost hits her. Solid gag, but and also, then, Sam, no, run. That's a run, but he doesn't know better. From one Sam to another, get out. <laughs> so Daxia was hits her and the scene cuts. 
and she's flown back home and she's telling Rosie after like that, she just walked away and she left because she was so embarrassed by everything that had just happened. And How that's the end of it. She goes back to her life, realized Walter's a really good person and that stalking a man has no way to meet them. Yes, that's where she's at right now in the story. So Annie's really upset with, uh, I don't know, 15 minutes. There you go. So Annie's very upset with herself and she's like, there's another woman involved and she's been half in love with somebody who has another woman and like- Half in love? You barely even know him. You've been infatuated at best. That's my phrasing, but that's basically what she's saying. Okay. So she's going through her mail and she finds a letter while she was gone that Jonah wrote back. And she's no, like, Jonah, no. I know, but she doesn't know it's from Jonah. She just, you know, it's from Sleep Business Seattle. Say that. She would know it's from Jonah by the crayon writing, because it's not like they have a typewriter that Jonah's proficient in, I'm sure. I think it's typed back, because it's, they don't know that it's from Jonah. Yeah, but he's also an eight-year-old. Their, their diction and grammar and spelling- Well, let me get to it. You're not letting me get to the letter. I will be- Okay. Also, like, he's very good at mailing. I don't know if I was an eight-year-old, if I could figure out how to mail a letter all by myself. <laughs> well, he figured it out. He's got Jessica on his team. Jessica. She can apparently like make t- like flight knows flight information and stuff. Jessica's on top of stuff. Jessica, genius child. And so she's all confused because she finds this letter and she obviously she doesn't know that Jonah wrote it back. And Rosie's like, "Oh yeah, I mailed your letter." By the way, <laughs> I would be incensed at Rosie. Yeah, well, she's not. She and should be. The letter basically says that it's poorly written. It's written like a kid, and it's like, "I'll see you on Valentine's Day." And Annie doesn't know that it's written by Jonah and thinks that the man just How? can't write. No. I don't know. What? She just doesn't, I don't know. doesn't know that he's reading the letters. He's just like, well, I guess the guy <sighs> is not a good writer. <laughs> Idiot. Yeah, she is. Back in Seattle, Sam is explaining to his sister and husband that he's seen this woman twice now, and he gets a weird sense of deja vu whenever he sees her, like he knows her. And they're like, well, we're just happy that you're, you know, interested in new people. And he makes Jonah tell them about his radio call-in. And the sister is like, oh, and the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day, that's just like that movie in Affair to Remember. And, which is, again, referenced, as I said, that's like the end of that movie. Anyway, there's this casual sexism where she's telling him about the movie and she starts to cry as she, like, recaps the movie to them and how amazing the ending is. And they're like, oh, yes, like, woman, can't you? Like, they're like, oh, that's how I felt when I watched, like, 12 Angry Men or whatever the movie was. And then I was crying at the end of it and it was so sad. (laughs) Something like that. Wow. This every time this movie comes up in this movie, which it does quite frequently, every time all the men like roll their eyes and they're like, ah, women and they're crying at the end of movies. I don't <laughs> want to reinforce gender stereotypes just because you were you like rom coms and I'm not the biggest fan. I do like rom coms. I like a lot of rom coms. I just don't like nearly as many of them as you do, is all it is. So take that, casual sexism. Yeah, you tell them. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jessica and Jonah are trying to figure out how to meet up with Annie, and you finally see that Jessica apparently has a parent, because she pops her head into the room, and she's like, I've got to run out for a quick errand, I will be right back, and then she leaves the two eight-year-olds alone. So, negligent parents all around, got it. (laughs) Again, I may have been left alone at eight years of age, and I hopefully she's just running next door to the grocery store and running back, and she'll be back in 15 minutes. Sure, that's fine. I'm not, I'm, I'm... I'm busting her chops, but given how little any of these parents seem concerned about their kids' whereabouts at any given time, not that much <laughs> busting is going on. The wild thing is, is, as I mentioned previously, Jessica parents are like, uh, do tickets and stuff for people. And so Jessica books a plane ticket for Jonah to New York City on their computer. 
Oh, she does that all on her own. <laughs> she does. She knows how to use the computer. <laughs> I guess it was the 90s. There are no passwords or something, but that's – how'd you get like a credit card or something? Um, okay, I knew you are going to ask that because they talk about how much money they have for like – she's like, oh, that's enough money for at least the cab fares while you're there. And then they talk about how they're going to pay for it and I was totally half paying attention to that. So I don't remember. Maybe okay. they use the parents' right. credit card or or it's like booked into the system, you know, through their parents' account or something. I don't know how it works. Bonkers. In any case, they didn't have to pay for the ticket. They just had – like they pooled their cash together so that he would have money once he got to New York. I mean, okay. Let's see if he even gets a ticket. If I was Sam – and I am. <laughs> if my kid approached me and said, hey, I bought the ticket to New York without your permission so we could go meet a random woman who wrote a letter to uh, the top of the Empire State Building, I'd be like, we're not getting on that plane. Uh, that's not happening. Um, well, first off, she just booked him a ticket, Jonah. Just a kid? Just a kid. What? what? Uh. <laughs> and two, you're assuming Jonah's going to tell his dad. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. I, uh, my brain broke a little bit there with where this movie is apparently going. Because that's insane. Well, you can travel alone as a child, but yes. Yeah, but usually you have to have like a guardian or authorization or something. You can't just have an eight-year-old hop a plane with no parental figure checking them in at the gate or something. Well, she, I don't know how true that is, but not in the 90s, not in 1993. Um, she does bump his age up to 12 because that way the flight attendants and stuff don't have to like baby him the entire way, she says. Okay. That's that's the age. So, like, he's like, nobody's going to believe I'm 12 because he looks clearly under 12. And she's like, I don't believe anything the computers say, which is true. That, I mean, that's a fair point. I guess a flawless movie, Daniel. I'm sorry I questioned the logic. So, you know, Nonsense. Annie, meanwhile, is leaving for New York City for her Valentine's Day weekend. She swears to Rosie that she's super happy. She's over this whole thing. Like she, you know, tried. You know, she went out there. She did what she needed to do and realized it wasn't, you know, fate or whatever. Rosie's she realized, her friend. She's a meddler. <laughs> yeah, she realized the error of her ways and she loves Walter. She can't wait to get married to him. And she seems to genuinely think this as she's saying it. It's not like she's faking it to Rosie. Good. So... They're out exploring New York City, and Walter says he's noticed that she's been a bit different and distracted lately, but it's finally starting to feel like she's coming back. And she admits that she was feeling nervous about the marriage, but isn't that normal? Isn't he, like, you know, doesn't everybody get cold feet? And he's like, no. Uh... <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm sure about marrying you. But she just keeps talking about it. Like, every store they go to, it keep, keeps going on. Like, how she's wondered if maybe they were too perfect, if they were too rights, making a wrong. What? I mean, like, and meanwhile, they're going on... She's just insane. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're agreeing on all of their registration stuff. Like, they're picking the same number of dinner plates and the same patterns. Like, they clearly have a lot in common. There's some patico. Yeah. And he ends up, um, as they're kind of finishing up their day, he gives his gives her his mother's ring as an engagement ring. And she loves it. And she's like, this is what I was saying. Like, there's some people you'd have, love to have a relationship with that would be full of surprises, but you're not one of these people. This is exactly the type of ring I would pick out for myself if I could pick out any ring in the entire world. That's such a dig. <laughs> He's like, some people love having a partner who makes them happy. You, you don't. Like she's basically what she's saying. What an awful person. Well, she's saying I like some people would love a relationship where there are a lot of surprises. I don't want that. So I'm glad that like we are. I'm glad you're so bored and predictable. <laughs> exactly what it's saying, but like she's trying to phrase like she means it as a good thing. Supposedly, yeah, are they have they been dating for like 
a week? They seem to have no communication skills whatsoever. I have no idea. <laughs> it seems like it's been a while. I don't know if at any point in the movie she talks about how long they've been dating, but it seems like it's been a while. Wild. Maybe they shouldn't get married, but my, mostly in that for Walter's benefit. Yeah, he seems like a perfectly nice young gentleman, Bill yeah, Pullman. <laughs> deserves better. Well, Bill Pullman is a catch. <laughs> So Sam's going for a weekend with Victoria, like going away for a weekend. And Jonah's very upset that it's not Annie. And Sam is convinced that he wouldn't like any woman that isn't his mother. And Jonah's like, that's not true. I just don't want like this woman. I think that you should go with Annie. And he's is like, is there anything no. wrong with Victoria? Or is it just that Jonah no, really wants his fantasy of, of he Annie? He wants the fantasy of Annie. Because he's, Victoria's super nice. She has a funny laugh, which they kind of make fun of at one point. But like, she's super sweet. She's trying yeah. really hard with, with Jonah. Like, she's clearly like putting in her effort. She seems to really like Sam. It's really sad. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. This movie, like, like I said, usually they undermine the secondary mm-hmm. romantic interests in some ways so that we can all root for them to get together but this movie has done more to undermine the primary romantic interest than anyone else <laughs> crazy both both victoria and walter seem like perfectly nice lovely yeah. humans <laughs> and it's annie and uh sam well mostly jonah who seem like absolute scuzzballs <laughs> yeah, it's crazy <laughs> So Jonah's mad. They get into this big yelling match in the house with slamming doors, telling him that he hates them. And the babysitter shows up and he goes to find his son to say goodbye because he's like locked himself in his room. And Jonah's apparently disappeared. Like, he can't find him anywhere in the house. He starts to panic. And he, he ran away to catch all the over. flight. Maybe. How? So, <laughs> so he ends this is, ends up going to Jessica's house because apparently now he knows his, her parents. I don't know. They must have met at some point while the kid kept coming randomly over to his house. <laughs> if I was Sam, I might call Jessica's parents and say, have you seen my child? Well, that's what, apparently what he's done. But now they're like, the three of the adults are standing in front of Jessica who's sitting in a chair and they're like grilling her because she clearly knows something and she's not telling them. And she eventually gives it up that he went to New York. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Crazy. So Jonah heads, uh, as he gets there, he like he cuts the scene. He's getting into a taxi that one of the like people at the airport okay. is helping him into. <laughs> Never happened because it takes like six hours to get to New York from Seattle. Five, six hours. The math on this is insane because I actually made a comment about this in my notes later. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> but <laughs> like, also, if he was on a flight, you would call the airline and say, my son is alone on a flight. He should not have been. Have someone meet him at the gate and escort him back to Seattle. <laughs> 100% what would be happening. Apparently, none of that is happening. Because <laughs> they have five hours. They know what flight he's on. They can easily, like, even if it's already taken off and they can't get him off the plane, like, they know where he's landing. They can have staff or whoever, you know, a flight attendant or, or, or security. Security. Yeah. <laughs> you know, meet him at the gate. Like, he's not like he can vanish off the plane. <laughs> Yep, nope, yep, he vanishes off the plane, he catches a taxi, he goes straight for the Empire State Building. It costs money in the Empire State Building. (laughs) Well, he got money, remember he and Jessica pooled all their resources, he's got like a hundred bucks or something, which in 93 was more money than it is now. I mean, that's true of every day (laughs) in the past. So he makes it to the top of the Empire State Building, and he's just like wandering around quizzing every reasonably young woman, like, are you Annie? Are you Annie? Are you Annie? (laughs) This is awful. (laughs) Meanwhile, Annie and Walter are having a fancy dinner, and she can see the Empire State Building out the window. Like, it's just wall-to-wall windows, and it's a beautiful view of the Empire State Building. And she stares at it longingly, and then looks at Walter, and she's like, Walter, there's something I've got to tell you. 
I have been having an emotional affair for months, and I am actually a crazy person who stalked another man. And if you had any sense, you would leave me for Victoria, who is a much better match. Who's Victoria? Oh, you'll find out. <laughs> she lives in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> so Sam takes the next flight to New York and also rushes to the Empire State Building, somehow all in this, again, in the same day. Not <laughs> like, I- what? Assuming there was a flight, like, even an hour later, and that it wasn't full, and he could get onto it, that's crazy. Yeah. He'd at least be a couple hours behind this kid. Yeah. Like, he'd have to be. And to be fair, it is getting dark when he arrives, but I just think the math is questionable at best. (laughs) Also, there's no way you wouldn't call the airline and say, stop my child! (laughs) Yes. Well, apparently he didn't think that far. Now it's too late. Crazy. So it's now dark, and Jonah's sitting dejected on the floor of the Empire State Building. And then back at the table, Walter is like, so he could be on top of the Empire State Building now? And somehow she told him, like, I am planning to meet another man. If he's there, I'm leaving you for him. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently she told him literally the entire story. And Walter would be like... I don't care if he's there or not. I'm done with this relationship. No, because he's the nicest character in the entire world. Why do these (laughs) nice people have to be dumped on so hard? He's like, I don't want to be someone that or any someone you or anyone is settling for. Yes. You should go and figure out if this is something that you want, because I don't want to marry you if you're settling for me, which is like. Completely fair. And he says it in the absolute nicest. Like, I'm no. like, oh, Bill Pullman, you're the sweetest guy in the whole world. <laughs> Better phrasing. I don't want anyone settling for me. And if, in fact, I don't want to be settling for anyone like you who doesn't want to be with me. So, nope. bye. Never brings it back to her. He just flat out it's just all says, her. like, yeah. Bill Pullman, you're perfect in my heart. <laughs> He's so good to her. He's so good to her. He's the only man who could turn me against another Sam. <laughs> <laughs> so she looks over and there's like heart lights. Like, there's a big heart that's put on the Empire State Building with red lights. Yeah, sure, why not? And, and she's like, that's a sign. And no, it isn't. <laughs> he's like, who needed a sign? And she gives him back his ring, and she runs off, assumedly, leaving I really Walter want behind. them not to meet on the top of the Empire State Building. I want them both to go home, dejected, uh, especially, <laughs> like, I want Annie to go back. She's the worst. And I want Sam to take his son Jonah home, punish the absolute bejesus out of him for running away on this cockamamie scheme and spend a happy life with Victoria. Well, we'll find out if that's what happens it in doesn't, the next but it few should. minutes here. <laughs> so I'm so angry with this movie. <laughs> I'm glad because this movie makes me mad and so many people love this movie and every time I watch it, I'm like, this is a good movie, but it's so dumb. <laughs> it's a good movie, but the characters in them are the worst people in the planet. They're all terrible human beings, except for Victoria and Walter, mostly, and somewhat Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's get Jonah's to this. a terrible child. He's like Dennis the Menace levels of evil. <laughs> yeah, they do. So meanwhile, Sam's made it to the Empire State Building. He rushes up there and he runs in there and he finds Jonah sitting on the floor. And he's like freaking out. And he's like, you can never do that again. And he's hugging it. And they're like, he's kind of crying. And it's a whole thing. Just call the Empire State Building security or whatever and tell them to escort your child back to- There are to- multiple things yeah. they could have done. Yes. Annie, meanwhile, is stuck in traffic, and she jumps out of the cab and decides to run for it. And she finally makes it, but the observation... Did she take a cab when she was, like, within eye distance? Like, clearly not very far from the Empire State Building? (laughs) She's in eye distance of the Empire State Building. That doesn't make any sense. I retract my phrase. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how far that is in New York uh, blocks, but she does have a pretty good view of the Empire State Building. Yeah, like, you don't take a cab, you know, 10, 20 blocks. You just... 
jog that. It's much faster. <laughs> well, she's in high heels. Yeah, maybe she didn't want to jog it. Oh, that's a good point. So she runs for it. She finally makes it, but the observation deck is closed. Oh, no. All right. Movie over. Too bad. Yeah, the end. <laughs> it should no. be if there was a kind of benevolent person overseeing this movie. No, there, she sweet talks the garden in it by referencing an affair to remember. And he's like, oh, nope. that's my wife's favorite movie. No. And he lets her up. <laughs> no. But it's okay, Sam, because Jonah and Sam are heading down in the other elevator. So and she misses miss them. Why is this movie making me angrier than Serendipity, Daniel? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's because in Serendipity, they were behaving like idiots, but at least they were like, doing it together they weren't hurting other people by doing it you know what i mean mm-hmm. here except their partners weren't they both cheating on their partners oh were they i may have blocked that out <laughs> <laughs> i feel like they both were cheating on their partners man what is with your rom-com choices everyone being terrible <laughs> uh, do you want to find out what happens or not <laughs> i mean not really but let's do this i'm so <laughs> angry danielle i'm seeing red and he gets up there and the deck is empty and she wanders just to make sure she's staring forlornly out at the view and she notices a backpack. It's oh, no. Jonah's. No. And she picks it up. She pulls out the teddy bear and she's like, oh, a little kid's backpack. And Jonah and Sam she just come. She rifles through a random backpack up there. Does it like turn to lost and found? I would have just turned it in and not looked. Yeah. But she's like, huh, I wonder whose backpack this isn't like pulls stuff out. Yes, she's a ransacker. She, well, she's a crazy stalker who just blew up a relationship <laughs> for nothing. As she thinks. I hope she, like, has to sit there and wallow in the realization that her insanity destroyed her life. No. She immediately hears uh, people talking behind her and she turns around and it's Jonah and Sam and they've come back to get the backpack. Uh, of course they have. Oh, no. Their conversation stops and Annie and Sam just stare at each other. And Jonah's like, wait, are you Annie? And Sam's like, I saw you on the street. You're Annie? You were stalking me in Seattle? Yeah. <laughs> he seems deeply unconcerned. I would... <laughs> Be deeply concerned. I'd be like the most concerned. I'd be so concerned. I'd be like the bottom of the Mariana Trench concerned. You know that this woman has written you a letter, that you saw her at an airport, that you saw her on your road, like across from your house, essentially. For all you know, she has like convinced your child to fly himself to New York. Like, <laughs> you don't know what kind of communication they've had. This shit could be like doing some weird manipulation to your child. Yeah. It, then she's on top of the Empire State Building waiting for you wild he just they just like grin at each other happily and the guard clears his throat like hey gotta go back down sam invites her to go with them like they weren't gonna take the same elevator back down i guess and he holds out her holds out his hand and they walk off to music and the camera zooms out on a shot of the empire state building with a big heart light on it i hate it uh (laughs) absolutely hate it i guarantee uh, before the elevator reaches the, the ground floor, he, if he has any sense, will be like, oh, you're a lunatic stalker and <laughs> I never want to see you again. No, because he feel like he's seen her before. It's true love, Sam. Absolutely insane. I feel bad for Victoria. She doesn't even get the courtesy of a dump. Yeah, this movie makes me mad. <laughs> I understand, Danielle. You have enlightened me. Again, I'm sure it's a very well done movie. I'm sure, like you said, the writing is solid and the leads are so charismatic they can probably pull it off. But just hearing about that, everyone in this movie except for Walter and Victoria are like the worst people. I mean – David Hyde Pierce is probably fine. We don't see him very much, so who knows? But <laughs> He's like, <been> great. <laughs> like Rosie's character who mails the letter, the radio host who keeps like, the child call in, like all this stuff is terrible. Yeah. 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 
this movie. The things I watch for this podcast, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) That goes both ways, Danielle, let's be honest. I watch freaking Moonfall for this podcast. (laughs) Every time I watch Sleepless in Seattle, I want to like it because I like Nora from movies as a general rule. And it's a funny movie. Listeners, this is a funny movie. It's well written. It is laugh out loud funny. Like, the leads are charming. Yeah. It's it's a fun watch. I've watched it, you know, the 2 a.m. kind of movie. It's fine. However, if you give this just a millisecond of thought. It is insane. Yeah, no. Once you start understanding the characters are <laughs> cruel to their partners, even, and the child is out of control. It's insane. She stalks him, and it's like all in the name of 90s love, rom-com love. It's totally fine because they're like true romantic partners. It's creepy. She wrote him a letter and then stalked him using her work sources with a pi and then shows up at his house <laughs> it's absolutely like her behavior is insane her friend's behavior is enabling her and like i guess I mean, sam's not missing in all of this so i'm gonna put it out there but she is by far the worst person in this movie yeah it's crazy it's a crazy movie it's a crazy movie danielle i wasn't sure how uh, nor ephraim you know, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan-led comedy was going to make me so angry, but it did. So well done you for that. Thank you. I told you. I did tell you. Yeah. Sleepless in Seattle is my least favorite of the, like, rom-coms that people just absolutely love. Fair enough. Uh, I can... I mean, I don't know all the ones that you include in that category, but this one seems to have the least likable version of the main lead character, so good job. And I just think the plot spiles wildly out of control, and then everybody just waves it away because, oh, it's Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, and they're madly in love. It's fine. (laughs) You're like, it's not okay. How are you going to tell people you met? (laughs) Right? I met when I dumped my fiancé on a whim. Crazy. Perfectly nice, if constantly allergenic. If that's a word. Allergenic? Yeah, sure. <laughs> He's allergic to everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's fair. It's like a weird shtick in the movie. I'm not even quite sure why it's in there, but it is. Yeah, no, that's fair. So there you go, Sam. Classic, classic 90s rom-com. Uh, My favorite thing to bring you. So classic, Danielle. So classic. Well, if you out there want to share with us why we're wrong and Meg Ryan's character is actually correct, please, please tweet at Danielle as much as you want. <laughs> You can you can find her on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Book Retorts. You can also find Sam there. I mean, I do share anything that seems relevant. No, to no, him. no. You have to share this. This is fine, Dan. You can you can keep all this for yourself. Wonderful. Well, if you want to directly contact Sam and circumvent me, you can do that at bookretorts.com through our email. <laughs> he checks that. Uh, I'll forward to you anything I get. Don't worry. <laughs> Ditto. See, we're fine. <laughs> we're starting a fund to get therapy for both Annie and Jonah, because those people clearly are very disturbed, you can help fund that fund at patreon.com slash book retorts. Are we putting them with Janie? Are we just having like a group therapy activity? Because I think we were funding for Janie's therapy as well. That's true. Seriously, Danielle, every character in the stuff you bring me needs therapy desperately. (laughs) That's true. So... Yeah, please help support getting the people the help they need. Getting (laughs) 90s rom-com leads therapy. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, until then, do not, do not write letters to strange men asking to meet in the Empire State Building. (laughs) Yeah, probably a bad idea. It doesn't usually turn out as well as it did for them. No. Well, until then, bye. (laughs) Take care, everybody. 
I should warn you, I'm dog sitting, so oh. there may be dog noises. We do not have a cat today, but we do have a pod chihuahua. A, a pod chihuahua. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> He's very cute. Yeah. Well, what's yeah. his name? Nelson. Nelson the pod chihuahua. Welcome to the show, Nelson. Let me ask you a few questions. Now, you've had Danielle dogs in you for a while. How does that make you feel? You know that he can't hear you, right? I have headphones on. <laughs> Ruin the illusion, why don't you? 